May is Listener Request Month, one of the most fun times of the year on Dissecting the 80s. It is time for you to help us program the show. All we need from you is your name, where you're calling from, and a brief message about the movie you would like us to cover. Left on our answering machine, that number is 856-347-7328. It's 856-DISECT, D-I-S-S-E-C-T. If you need to hear it again, use the back button on your podcast player so that I don't have to read a bunch of numbers in sequence. All we need from you is your name, where you're coming from, and what you'd like us to cover. So you say, I'm Trip from Washington, and the movie I think you should do is blank. Keep them short, sweet, to the point. Anything is on the table here between 1978 and 1992. We got those new years, so you can stretch your legs into them as well. Are we including the our, our sequel rule? Yeah, why the hell not? Sure. Yeah, so if you want to pick If it is a movie... If if there was a movie within that time frame that is a sequel to something earlier, the earlier movies count as canon. And uh-huh. if it had sequels after, those after sequels also count. So That's right. So if there's a new movie, one of these reboot calls you want us to do, those are on the table. If there's a, a movie that we did, you know, part seven of, but you want to see the first one, also on the table. A uh, lot, of, lot of options available for you now. So... Remember, it's 856-347-7328. Your name, where you're calling from, what you'd like to see us cover. You have until 11.59.59 p.m. East Coast time. When the clock strikes for April 16th, that's it. It's over. The last toll (laughs) of the last bell of midnight. Exactly. It must be in before April 16th. If you live overseas somewhere, not in the United States, and you can't... um, make the phone call, send a voice memo, just record this on your phone and email it to dissecting the eighties at gmail.com and just put listener request month in the subject line. So voice memo email. If you're not able to, to call into the number or it's going to cost you a bunch of money, that's fine. You don't need to do that. We are excited to hear from you. We will do a drawing uh, probably live on Facebook again uh, or somewhere that we can figure it out if the technology cooperates later in April. Can't wait for this. Thank you so much for participating and for listening to our show. If you haven't yet, head over to patreon.com slash dissecting the 80s to find out all of the awesome bonus content you can get. More of this show at the click of a button. You sign up, you get your own custom RSS feed, which means you can listen to the Patreon episodes in your favorite podcast player. There's right around 20 hours of bonus content. I haven't retallied, but more than 20 hours of bonus content, I think is accurate after this month uh, when we drop our big ET episode. And I'm going to tell you this right now, shocking revelation in that ET episode. Andrew doesn't even know it yet. We haven't, we haven't gotten that out there yet. We haven't recorded it, but we're going to record that very shortly. That'll be out this month for our Patreon supporters. Full-length episode on ET uh, celebrating its 40th anniversary this year, which is wild. So that's patreon.com slash dissecting the 80s. There's a $5 tier. You get a quarterly bonus episode and you instantly unlock all the back episodes. At the $2 tier, you get a monthly uh, email newsletter from us. It lets you know a few episodes in advance what's coming up on the show, as well as some stuff we've been watching and are really into. We're always positive there since sometimes we're negative here. So we try to counterbalance our energy in the universe. So check out patreon.com slash dissecting the 80s and then you can support this show directly.
Welcome to Dissecting the 80s. I am Trip Lano, one half of the Mega Podcasting Powers. And with me, as always, is a man known to some of his friends as the lone biker of the gay apocalypse, the Macho Mandrew. <laughs> True Lano. I mean, hey, I've been known to pose with a motorcycle. <laughs> uh, he's got real leather daddy vibes. He does. The lone biker of the apocalypse. So Sure. There actually is, there's a, unrelated, there's a, a car within like a few minutes of my house and it mm-hmm. is it looks like it drove straight out of the 70s it's like matte red okay. with like yellow and orange stripes on it and then the okay and it i don't know what kind of car it is because i'm not that kind of i'm not a car person but it, it yeah, looks yeah and you've never just looked at the back well no but like I, I it's not like an iconic specific car it's not like oh that's a Mustang. no badging back there yeah okay like it might it probably just says like dodge or like it, it's not like an iconic car yeah. specific but it looks so vintage yeah. and the license plate says Las Vegas. And I always want to be like, <laughs> I want to knock on their door and be like, can I please take pictures with your car? I feel like, I feel like the person who owns that car is the character we do. That's like, Hey toots. Yeah. Which is why I don't because me taking <laughs> yeah, pictures, yeah. I'm like, I'm going to be wearing Daisy Dukes and roller skates. Right. And tall you want to, you want to do what on my vehicle? You said, yeah, but I've, every time I drive by, I'm like, God, I would love to take a few photos with that car. <laughs> uh, we are doing a fun double feature month that I've been excited about for a long time. From the moment I first watched Raising Arizona for the first time, like a year and a half ago, I was like, oh, my God, this is a double feature. We have to do this. And the more I learned about it, I was like, oh, this explains everything. So this is our uh, March comes in like a Ramey and out like a Cohen month. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> you know, in like a lion, I, I out like a lamb. Thing. Dumb names for the month aside, we watched the Coen brothers' great Raising Arizona, so you know what that means. We gotta go back. We gotta go dissect the 80s. It's your Woody Woodpecker tattoo. Something about your Woody Woodpecker tattoo. When the mega powers explode. I'm talking about the 80s. Oh, yeah. Great Scott. Queen of the crop. Oh, yeah. Mega power, yeah! When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. So I watched this for the first time during the pandemic. Just, hey, I know I haven't seen all the Coen Brothers movies. Let me watch a few more of theirs. I, you know, generally really like their stuff. Not always a hit for me, but I, I, I like a fair bit of it. Have you seen many Coen Brothers movies? This feels a little outside your I purview, probably. I don't think so. I don't dislike them. Fargo? I've seen Fargo, I think. Or if not, okay, I've seen okay. most of Fargo. But I don't I don't have a wide breadth of knowledge for Coen Brothers. Okay. Uh, I knew that they were friendly with sam raimi i knew that there was connection i knew they had made a movie together that most people don't care for i've never seen crime wave the movie they made together um Mm. and thought about doing that for this month but i feel this is my like big film dorky pedestal but there's to me obviously so much shared dna between raising arizona and evil dead 2 and then you know as i watched this i was like man this feels like they must have been hanging out with sam raimi and i came to find out that uh that yes they did live with sam raimi it was a house in the uh, silver lake area of los angeles that was the coen brothers holly hunter francis mcdormand who later married one of the coens i never remember which one 
uh, Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, and also Kathy Bates, who's like 10 years older than that whole group and must have been like really <laughs> like a fascinating because like, you know, just 10 years of age yeah, difference can sometimes be I didn't be know they really all lived together. Like they, that's a yes. cool group. Like that's a reality yes. show watch. <laughs> Yes, yes. They had they had like a big house together. And I like went looking to see if anyone's ever asked about this. And someone asked the only thing I could find on the whole internet that like confirms this story was it was a Huffington Post video interview with Holly Hunter where she was promoting, I don't know, some TV show she was on or something. And they were like, So I heard you live with the Cohen brothers for a time. And she rattled off those names I just said. And she's like, Yeah, we all lived in this old hunting lodge out in Silver Lake area. And that was it. And I was like, Holly, there's gotta be a story with that group of people. Like so what? Like, was that but like, then I was started it like thinking a seven bedroom? Or like It must have been a big it must have been a big, you know, well one of the Coens was definitely eventually married Francis Dorman, McDorman. So it's possible they were together and it's possible like some people were in couples. So there was, you know, maybe that yeah. like the bedrooms were shared in that way. I don't want to, I don't want to just guess. <laughs> I mean, Sam and Bruce could share a bedroom. They grew up together. It wouldn't be that yeah. weird. Uh, you know, I, was like, I, I, was I assume they were on the, the, the slash fiction <laughs> of Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. <laughs> I assume they weren't sharing like a twin bed together, but I could see, you know, two two childhood friends sharing a bed, like, whatever. Yeah. Um, but then I started thinking like, oh, there must be some stories of debauchery. And then I was like, I don't know. Most of that group is pretty dorky, or at least three of the men of that group are pretty big dorks. Yeah. And I wonder if it was just like a dork house, like everybody working very hard and practicing their monologues. In the, in, the, in the debauchery sense, more in the like, we're all very stoned. <laughs> Yes, yeah. Everybody was smoking weed and watching uh, the Three Stooges for sure, or I'm at least the Coen Brothers and Sam Raimi. That house was astronomical. <laughs> we if gotta I stop buying to. the little boxes. This is this is not an economical choice. Or if they like, they buy the like the the eight pack of the of the like one that you could theoretically. That's pour what the I was thinking. In. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It never worked right, but it was always a fun idea. Yeah. Do they even still do that? I haven't seen those little boxes in. I don't know. A, I can't even now tell they you just how sell individual bowls. Of yes, cereals, that's right. They, it like. is a little it's thing. Really yeah, nice yeah. I'm like, I would love. You know, I just want to taste. You know, the the cinnamon toast crunch or the the Lucky Charms or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Because the only cereal I regularly buy is Count Chocula. So what I do when I get a cereal Jones, which isn't often, uh, one, it's basically dessert. It's a so sometimes dessert. I just eat it as as dessert but uh i will buy the honey bunches of oats with almonds which has exactly as much sugar and bad shit in it as like reese's peanut butter puffs but i can no. tell myself that i've made an adult decision you see is the big difference no see i just know I it's treat, packed with cinnamon and sugar it's delicious i, I really genuinely dessert. think like, it tastes good if i'm eating a yeah, cereal yeah. it's a dessert so like i don't even have to pretend yeah. or trick myself because i'm like yeah no it's reese's cereal because that's it's yeah. a dessert yeah, I mean, I will eat it at breakfast time, so yeah, that I, I will sometimes do it. It's not often, but I will do it. On that. my birthday, I did. I watched um, a, some cartoons before I started my shift and uh, ate a bowl of cereal. That's a fun birthday treat. Yeah. It's a, I like that. I, like that. I will probably steal that at some point. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I they I found out they all lived together, and I was like, man, what a wild thing! Like uh, that, this is like I've proved my thesis. This is this is very clear. They were developing these movies at the same time, and I think there's just like is Misery nineties uh, or eighties? Uh, it's nineties, right? I think Misery is a nineties movie. I feel pretty confident in that. Okay. Yes, like ninety three ish. Yeah, I was trying to like picture. I was like, 
I'm imagining <laughs> Kathy Bates stomping around the house, screaming cock-a-doody. <laughs> I don't think, I think this is a much younger than that. So th- she's currently 73. Everybody else is currently 63. And we're talking 40 years ago. So she'd have been 30 something and they would have been 20 something. Yeah. They, but this was in the early eighties, right? That's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, yeah. So there, she's in her. She's 73, and the Ramy and the Cohen brothers are all 63 or right thereabouts. So, or sorry, at least Ramy and Bruce are 63. So that I'm saying there's about a 10 year gap. Um, so yeah, I just find it delightful that they were all living together because you know Francis is in this movie, uh, Holly Hunter obviously in this movie as well. I'm surprised that Bruce didn't find his way in here, but maybe they were filming simultaneously. Yeah, the uh, a clerk, one of the clerks with a shotgun. Yeah, exactly. Or he could have been like in the bank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seems like a, a spot you could have given old pal Brucey a, a bone. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, the other Frank thing is put apropos of Spider-Man. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, that's what you do when you're old friends. You give him. Hey, damn it. Like, I was really disappointed that he didn't have a role in the uh, homecoming. I was like, come on. You couldn't find well, a spot Spider-Man for Bruce in there. Spider-Man. I haven't watched it yet. Y- yeah, uh, it's it's fine. It's like better than you think it would be. Yeah. I went on a Spider-Man kick I mean, last got, week, so Toby's Toby's there for the paycheck. Uh, the other guy uh, with the spiky hair, Garfield, is like, "Oh, look, I really would have been good if I had gotten any support at whatever." And you're like, "Yeah, you're right," but it's pretty charming. Well, his second, uh, one I, I'm not, His second one was bad. Yes, I never watched either of the Garfield Spider-Man because I was like, I already saw Spider-Man. Well, I watched. <laughs> there I watched already the first is a one Spider-Man. A while ago, his first outing, and then I was like, "Oh, there's a second one." And then I finally watched. I was like, yeah, it's free on TV uh, on demand. I, I was dog sitting. I was like, sure, I'll, I'll throw it on. And I was like, oh, boy, this is not right. The the the, the issue I have with the homecoming is it has Wait. the same third act as every Marvel movie. Wait, not, not homecoming. You're talking about. What's it called? No Way Home? Yeah. They all have no, the same so title. Homecoming this is, the is a Spider-Man. Spider-Man Homecoming is, yes. is an actual spider-man movie yes i have seen i have seen all three of the marvel spider-mans tom holland spider-man yes i saw the one where they this i thought the second one where they go to venice yeah okay that one's not very good i think i thought the first one is homecoming the second one is far from home the third one is no way home that's what it is yeah see this that is a bad way to title your movies because i am an old man and i'm already confused as it is we to start are not the, the target demo so, <laughs> clearly uh but anyway i hope that sam is find a spot for bruce in the uh whatever dr strange movie he's directing because sam raimi's back in the superhero chair yeah but the other thing i really does really hope is like they let sam raimi do sam raimi stuff because after watching evil dead 2 and raising arizona and then i had was had spider-man on the brain uh, as you did too apparently i pulled up the scenes where they do the operations on doc ock from the oh, first spider-man yeah. and it's like so fits with the movie, but also is like such a Sam Raimi thing. And it's like, I'm going to be really sad if I watch a Sam Raimi directed movie, because I'm going to go see that Dr. Strange. Cause I like Sam Raimi and I don't get any Raimi cuts and, and edits. I'm going to be really ticked off. I so, imagine we will I'm gonna wag my finger in advance. I imagine we will for some stuff, but I, I don't think it's going to be as prevalent. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, but this is, this is a side note, uh, just because we're going to talk about Holly Hunter a bunch in this movie. She is in, uh, I think it's called Mr. Mayor, which is a NBC show with Ted Danson. Oh yeah. I, for, I know that show exists. I don't know anything else about it. Yeah. I watched a few episodes, didn't super get into it, which is fine. But the thing that I learned on that show, which I had never known before, she is like 
really, really short. <laughs> right. And it's like to the point. Yeah. So Nick Cage must be a short dude because when she stands next to Ted Danson, she looks like she's four two. I always thought Nick Cage was a tall man. She she is listed as her height being five two, so there's no way Nick Cage is more than like five eight. I think I always in my head picture him like a six foot. Yeah, well, you think of all Hollywood men as tall because they hide it, but they're all short boys. Tom Cruise is like five he, five. All of his character, he like always has his like a that string being framed, so your your brain kind of like yes does that thing where your brain makes and also in the gaps for you. And also, they only shoot him from the belt up. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so anyway, let's get into Raising Arizona. We start with the meet cute of Nick Cage and Holly Hunter. And this is the the Coen Brothers trademark of like voiceover and, and big dialogue. Not always voiceover, but the dialogue is is heavy on big words. And Nick Nick Cage is, is doing this voiceover. Actually, one of the funny things of looking into the research of this movie is Ebert really didn't care for this one. And his big thing was like, the, the Nick Cage character is like an idiot. Like we see him in the movie, he's an idiot, but then he does these voiceovers and he's using all these big words and he's very loquacious. And I was like, yes, Roger, that's the joke. <laughs> it's like, you have missed the joke, Raj. Um, Butch is fine. Would he, you know, maybe he didn't care for it. That's okay. But that's part of what I dig about this is this absolute moron is like, you know, giving you the spiel at the beginning of the movie. And it's just this so, you know, the vocabulary is great. He's like delivering it so eloquently. And then you hear him talk in the movie and you're like, this man's a complete idiot. Yeah. I, I didn't think about that, but that, that is true. I didn't, I didn't think about that. I will say I, I did not I did not love this movie as much as you did. I didn't hate it, but I, I certainly did not love this movie. Okay, uh, that's fine. You don't have to you don't have to be right about things all the time. Like you can yeah, you I, can you can be over there. I thought it was wrongness. perfectly fine. I didn't think it was bad. Yeah, but I was just. I don't think that this is. I don't even think this is necessarily like a top five Coen Brothers movie for me because I mean they've made a lot of movies. Yeah, but I I I think I think the reason I want to talk about this is one I think there's a lot of fun stuff here and two like I just the this to me is like the most perfect double feature we have ever programmed on the show. I think like so. The I previous episode and this episode, you watch them back to back, you'd be like, oh yeah, there's a lot there. Uh, so Nick's getting arrested. He is a small time stick up man. He robs convenience stores on a regular basis. And he calls Reagan a son of a bitch. So. Off the bat, yeah. I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's a, you're you're on board. I knew you would be. Uh, but Holly Hunter plays the police officer who is taking his picture, his it mug shots, me, like, doing the, his fingerprinting. The third arrest for me to because I was like, who is that? I, I think of her voice. I don't think of her face. Sure, I think yeah, of her yeah. as a laugh. She has girl. a yeah. She has a trademark voice. That's for sure. Wait, does um, she of the world? So the he's. Man? I don't think so. <laughs> that's a pretty good Holly Hunter. Do. It's not bad. It's pretty good. Um, <laughs> um, you, you got me all discombobulated. So Nick Cage is getting repeatedly arrested and he serves, serves a short stint in prison each time. And then he comes back, meets Holly, you know, recidivism, big problem in, in uh, it, uh, the criminal justice system in America because we don't do any rehabilitation when people are in prison. So, of course, Nick Cage doesn't get rehabilitated, just gets shuffled in and out of the system as many times as you can. Mm-hmm. But Finally, he comes back not being uh, handcuffed on the way, and he proposes to Holly, and she inexplicably says yes. Well, he had said he had like made made some big grand gesture, which in movie world means love. But the one, cause yes, one that's time true. She was taking his picture. She was crying, and she said her boyfriend left her, and he was like, "I'll beat that's him right. up because he's stupid for leaving you or whatever." 
Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Nick Cage's character uh, goes by his initials H.I., so everybody calls him Hi, which is kind of a fun... A little confusing. Fun because little silliness. They don't... Mm-hmm. He doesn't... Say, if he had... I wouldn't have minded if he said, you know, everyone calls me Hi in the opening minutes, because there's he, he there's scenes with him... At, he his, does. He In the voiceover. I did not hear him say that, because I all these parole people are like, are you lying to us, Hi? And I'm like, what are they talking about? <laughs> he says it in the opening voiceover he says like my name is uh, but everyone calls me hi i must have missed that because i was like what is happening <laughs> um so he's he's this repeat offender he proposes to holly they say yes she says yes they they run off together um it's really just the twisted version we, of the up prologue yeah i could see that <laughs> It's a kind of a darker ver- or kind of a sillier version of it. But yeah, yeah, it's like they got together, they couldn't have kids, and so they had a life together. You. Okay, interesting, interesting, interesting. Did not put that together, but that is funny. Um, no MM at Walsh in Up, though. You do get that here, yeah. which is nice. Always, always good to see him. Um, so we learn about the Arizona quintuplets, and this is where Holly Hunter, who up until this point was a police officer, and Nick Cage, small time criminal, d- beyond beyond she was yeah. a cop, was just a reasonable person. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. I shouldn't just like blanketly be like, "Oh, she was a cop. How could she commit a crime?" Because that happens every day. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just you know she's she seems like a regular person who has you know gotten some education gone to work and had a regular old job not had any life of crime but suddenly she's like you know what we should do they have too many kids let's steal one of them which like you know what steal from the rich maybe not their babies but steal from the rich <laughs> uh so i love i love that like we cut to the they have their little shitty car but a huge ladder strapped to the roof of it just like very looney tunes gag so i will i said this later because i realized it later but i'll say it up top this is a muppet movie oh for sure big like muppet you energy. Could, except a little dark for the muppets but in general like, except, like a muppets after dark but like this like this yeah. movie like you could replace almost everyone with a muppet of some kind and i'd be like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i i also feel that it's pretty much a straight up live action looney tunes cartoon Oh yeah, I mean that's Muppets hand in hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just I, that's that's what I get a lot from this is just you know the the action is cartoony. The I think that's what they were going for. As you said, a lot of people smoking weed and eating cereal. I think they were watching a lot of Looney Tunes in that household as well. Uh, I, one of my favorite jokes in this is the the eight forty five yep, p.m. Joke. I love that. <laughs> well, you can go ahead and take it then, since you didn't love as much as this movie. I'll I'll have another one later. They're doing the the lower third of the Chirons that say like the Arizona estate this day, and and it, they're not like related to anything. And then the wife says, "What time is it?" Right? And yes. then he says, "Well, it's eight forty-five. And he looks as he looks at his watch, and as he says it, it pops up on the bottom of the screen. It says eight forty-five. <laughs> It's such a dumb, great. good joke. Yeah, that's like that's like for the movie dorks. That's just mwah. yeah, uh, really, really lovely. Um, also, to clarify, the Arizona family is the surname of the family uh, and not the location of the film. Correct. Um, also, this movie just dives right in. Like, it's a ninety-minute movie, so it just dives directly yes. into the plot. I was like, oh, we're okay, <laughs> yeah. cool. No fat on this bone, uh, practically no muscle. It's just a lean, mean it's very, uh, narrative It's here. a very low uh, body fat percentage on here. <laughs> we, 
when the movie is like it's called Raising Arizona, it's about stealing a baby, and four minutes into the movie, we are stealing a baby. Yeah. It's it's right there. I did, uh, this this opening bit really delights me. Nick Cage puts the ladder up to the kids' room, and these kids are all like very large for having being newborns, but that's just a movie thing. Uh, they're all like crawling and walking already. It's yeah, like those are time. not babies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I love the quintuple crib that they're in with their names. Like there is like five sort of head spaces in this quintuple crib, but they each get their own little slot. Yeah, um, it's like Harry, Larry, Barry, Jerry, and then Nathan Junior. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Nick tries to steal one, but then he has to corral all the other babies, and he's he's they're all they're all here. It seems like they've done a baby escape, which is a thing that happens. Well, so he like gets up there, but he he doesn't. Maybe it's just Nicolas Cage energy, but like he does not have the yeah. like I'm stealing it because like if if this is not an admission of guilt, if I were to steal a yeah. baby, I would go in the window, grab one baby, and then leave. Like he's up there like so bouncing what I and, like and being like Shh. and I'm like okay, but, like we can just. Get out of this crime scene. <laughs> my, my impression was he was like trying to pick the right one. So he's like thumping on it to see if it's right. Like yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, exactly. Like he's he's squishing the cantaloupe. He's you know sniffing it. He's like trying to see which one he wants. He's trying to choose a baby. Is I is what I assumed this was supposed to convey. But also I think it's just you know a vehicle for silliness where the babies are crawling and he's got to like run. To, he has to tiptoe down the hallway and get them, which is a good bit of business. Yeah. I think that was, I was just very confused. I was like, if you're stealing a baby, just take one and, and go. Like, grab it and get out of here. But if they're going to make it like he's trying to pick the right one, I think that's funnier and it should have been clearer. Yeah, I'm with you. You could do like he's like sniffing and squeezing and like looking how long the arm he's one, like measuring. Hold it up by one foot. Yeah. Like it's like yeah, trout. Yeah. Yeah. There's also a really odd uh, shot that they flipped because Nick's tattoo is on the wrong arm and it oh. like makes no sense to me why they did it. I, I, I genuinely wonder if it's just a mistake, but the tattoo changes arms. And I was like, huh, that's that's weird because it looks the tattoo looks backwards yeah. in, the, in the shot. And I was like, wait, that's not the arm it's on. But yeah, just some great Looney Tunes bugs. You, know, you could see this being a Bugs Bunny short where it's like Bugs is watching some other person's babies and then he's having to like Beginning run down Roger the hallway Rabbit. and get the one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um I you know, I just love him doing the like tiptoe business to go down the hallway to get the baby. It just it's all very good physical comedy from Nick Cage. Mm-hmm. Um so he steals the one. So he goes back outside. Oh no, he does. Well, first he goes back outside and he's like, "I can't do it." And Holly Hunter's like, "Go get me a baby." Which that's I think also was confusing. I was like, "You spent all that time up there and you didn't take one?" <laughs> I think he was like, "I can't steal this child from the fat." Like, I rob convenience stores. This is a way I I feel guilt about this. So he goes up and and steals one, and then Holly Hunter is like, she's like, "I love it. I love him." You know, she's like, we did the right thing, right? Like, they couldn't handle it. And I was like, they were rich. They have the staff to handle yeah. any number of children. <laughs> yeah. I also love that. I forget which one of them says it, but they're like, well, what about the mother? Oh, she'll get over it. But I don't think so. I'm not sure that's true. Uh, if Stranger Things taught us anything. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um. So there, she's talking to Nick Cage and is like, all right, well, now we have a kid, so we got to settle down. You know, quiet evenings at home. You can't be going out and doing all this business. Meanwhile, we cut to John Goodman 
sort of being birthed. He looks like a escaping from the prison. Yeah, he really does. It's the same energy, like the hand shooting out of this, the mud. Like, yeah, this mud like the Evil Dead poster. Yes, it's exactly that. <laughs> and <laughs> so John Goodman comes out the regular birthway, but William Forsythe, his partner, is a breech baby, He's, and Goodman has to pull him out by one yeah, foot. Which it just, yeah, it's just stupid, but I, it's just, I like it. It's very, very silly to me. Uh, there, there's a bunch of stuff that must just be, you know, we all have this weird stuff in our brain. You and I have talked about, you know, the odd things that stick in our brain, but there must be some Coen brothers connection to like pomade or hair gel or whatever, because it yeah. figures in a lot of their movies. Uh, there's that whole sequence in Oh Brother Where Art Thou about it, and here John Goodman puts like a palm full of this stuff into his hair. It is so much, and for not a lot of hair. No, no. Both he and William Forsythe have sort of a rockabilly look going on in this movie. Yeah, I can see. I can definitely that vibe. So they steal a car. They go to visit High and Holly Hunter, who's like upset. Get these dudes out of my house. What are they doing here? Like this is not on the up and out of my house. Exactly. And then Goodman starts to like get hints that the baby isn't theirs or that something's weird with the baby. Yeah, he starts to put it together pretty quickly, which is he is the smartest of this movie and everyone in it is a complete idiot. So that's a very low bar, the very short ladder to be on top of. But he is atop it. Um, Does Nicholas? I think that's what I because there's some scenes like Hmm. this scene where his, his teeth look weird. And I was like. Does he have those weird? Clear, I didn't like not not Invisalign, but like oh, the, but okay. where the brackets are like clear plastic. I didn't clock that, but it's certainly very possible. Yeah, I was like, I should have like rewound and like looked at it further. But yeah, yeah, I, it also could have been like maybe he had sort of something for this movie to make his teeth look different. I'm not sure. Mm. I've always really liked movies about dumb criminals. That's why I like a lot of the Coen Brothers stuff. They're, they're, they also are clearly fascinated by idiots uh, who are criminals. But the people in this movie are spectacularly stupid yeah. in a way it's that's a, really delightful. Level. Like, yeah. Uh, but it extends to pretty much every character in the whole movie. Like, everyone you meet is a complete moron. <laughs> Just like, you, you wonder how they could function as human beings. How are you alive? So, uh... This is where we meet the lone biker of the apocalypse, who I think gets a name, but is in this movie as a bounty hunter and is just a complete, it's like what movie, like he rode out of Mad Max, he got on his motorcycle and he drove out of a Mad Max movie straight across the celluloid from like, it was showing in an adjacent theater and he biked into it from that. He, he actually, honestly, I think he feels that he's coming out of last action hero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, like, yeah, for sure. Throws grenades at bunnies and shoots lizards. Like, <laughs> yes, yeah. The the bunny, the shot of like the bunny hopping and nibbling on some grass, and him uncorking a grenade at it, and then cutting away to a huge actual explosion is very funny. It's lovely. Well, his this dream because this is a dream he's Nicholas Cage is having. We think, and at first yes. it looks yeah, like yeah. a Sarah Connor's dream because it's like a just flames yes. in a chain link fence. And then Ghost Rider shows up. Like this, this dude looks like Ghost Rider. <laughs> yeah, he really does. Uh, we get a Raimi shot of the front of the Arizona house, like zooming it's, up the. And I've never seen perfectly it perfectly placed. Yes, but also it goes up, which is not like normally a Raimi shot maybe goes up over a car or something like the height of a person, but this goes up like a ladder yeah. 
to the window, which I've never seen. It's like the the Coen brothers were like, oh, that's a cool technique. We're going to do our own version of it. That's really cool. Well, I don't think Raimi's ever had a two-story. He doesn't, he's not really a two-story kind of guy <laughs> until recently. I don't, I don't mean no, no, yeah, I mean had, no offense. He had a one-story budget for his movies. Yes. I mean, no offense to the man, but until. No, uh, it's very accurate. It's great. So, it's been a one-story budget. <laughs> That's great. That's a really funny way of putting it, but I think you're exactly right. I just spent a ton of time being like, how the hell did they do this? I think it was because I I couldn't figure it out. So I think it was three people. I think it was one on each end of the two by four, and then one wasn't holding it but was at the camera, but running with them so that when they got to the ladder, he could grab it and then walk up the ladder with it, is my thought. That would make sense, but the it keeps the jiggle so like he'd have to climb the ladder while holding it that seems incredibly dangerous i mean these are <laughs> serial eating high people so yeah that's true that's true yeah I, I i'm sure you could find it out there but if i if i ever got to meet one of the coens i'd be like hey i have a very specific question how'd you do this shot and they'd be like, oh, surely you're talking about something cool from Fargo or, you know, Hail Caesar or one of our many Oscar winners. Like, no, 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 no. I want to talk about Raising Arizona and the, the Raimi shot you stole but piped it up a window. Is that the only time that, that the Coen brothers have used that? You've seen more than I have. I, I, don't, I don't know the answer to the question. It's not anything that has stuck out to me in such an obvious way, but I'm not sure. They also, like... Uh, I could see them doing it in some of their, they, for a while they would alternate between like something very serious and straight and then something kind of loopy and weird. And I could see the loopy. And I assume that was because like, they always claim that they did everything together, but my instinct in in watching it is like, well, I assume that one of them prefers one of this and one of the other prefers the other. So do they just swap directing and they both, because they used to swap credits. Joel is credited as the director for this. I yeah, think. they used to swap credits and then they started getting credited together and then one of them retired and the other one just did a Macbeth adaptation that people have spoken really Oh, is that really the one with Francis McDormand? Yes, and Denzel. And I didn't know he was involved in that. He, he, it's all him. Like, I didn't written, know it was directed, a, produ- you know, every, a well, singular Cohen production. Written by Shakespeare. I'm not an idiot, but adapted by him and stuff. Yeah, I, I have, I've watched a couple of clips of it. I'm not like a huge like I respect Shakespeare as a person who likes you know the arts and stuff, but I'm not wild about Shakespeare. Macbeth is one of my favorites. It's, like, it's, it's spooky. It's witches. Yeah, I'm sure it's entertaining, and it looks it looks interestingly shot. But I was just kind of like, eh. Uh, it, it seems like all these like whenever these creative type people get cooped up, they're like, I'll do a Shakespeare because didn't uh, human turd Joss Whedon do a Shakespeare after the writer's strike? Yeah, it was because he apparently like would have his actor friends over and they would just read like perform Shakespeare in his living room. And then he was like, um, yeah, let me grab my camera. Yeah. So, so we find out the baby's missing. We have all these investigators at the Arizona house and Mr. Arizona doesn't want anything to do with this investigation. He's like mad that it's being conducted, which well, is kind he's of also always thing. plugging. Cause he was, he delivered his yes. press conference and then ended it with being like, but our store is open. My store is still open. Come <laughs> buy furniture. He is a, <laughs> He's a furniture magnet, uh, magnate, sorry. Uh, furniture magnate would be a very bad superpower. <laughs> a useless um, superpower. 
<laughs> it's like <laughs> just a weak guy walks into an Ikea and gets us <laughs> annihilated, did. turns into a red mist. Uh, yeah. So he's like, yeah, he's like, we're going to get the guy who ki- to kidnap my son and also come down for a great price on a do-van. I, honestly, I think it would have been funnier if he said we're given we have a, a one fifth off sale on on, <laughs> on cribs. <laughs> that would have been good. That's a good punch up. Yeah. So I like I love this sequence where he's like losing his mind. He just starts yelling at all these cops and he's just like over it. He's furious that all these people are in his house. He's furious about the fact that his kid got stolen. He's just yelling at everybody. It feels very much Yosemite Sam to me. Yeah, you're right. Very. That is true. And there's another great editing joke where uh, <laughs> they they say I forget the exact setup, but he says so like something along the lines of like you can't find your ass from you wouldn't be able to tell your ass from a hole in the ground, and it cuts to a literal hole in the ground outside where they're investigating. Yeah, I like that was a good like, that was a good uh, cutaway. I, I I always love a good editing joke, and that is a really well edited joke. As as Andrew is well aware, because every time I watch uh, Hot Fuzz, I text him incessantly at one in the morning about how it's the greatest it's, edited comedy movie of all one time, of the most perfect executed comedy <laughs> films ever. Yeah, and it is because it is. I think it is the best comedy editing anyone has ever done because like a third of the jokes are edit jokes, and it's just like like written and edit shot and edited. Of course, all those things are. In, in syncopation, but in, in, in the specific of just like, you wouldn't know your ass from a hole in the ground, cut to a hole in the ground will never not get me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a simple man. I like a good editing joke. I also don't know which baby was, no one knows which baby was kidnapped. They all keep saying, I think it was Nathan Jr. Yeah, I, 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 I do love that part. And I think we, we joked, uh, I think in the text that they are, are, this is a movie that our mom didn't care for. Um, the basis of a baby being stolen is never going to be a comedy for her. She no. just can't, you know, she, that would never work. But yeah, I, I, it's delightful to me. <laughs> like, so which one of your kids is it? I don't know. One of them, there's five. Yeah, I, I fully see why this is not a mom pick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I think it's delightfully funny. Um, so we cut to Francis McDormand and uh, I wrote his uh, Sam McMurray is the other guy who um, also playing a complete idiot in this. Francis McDormand is almost unrecognizable. Oh, yeah. He op- totally different. They opened yeah. the door to her and I was like, is that Francis McDormand? I was like, I know she's like a. Yeah, I know she's in their rep in the Coen Brothers rep theater. Right. But I was like, Let yeah, me check because <laughs> she it's I don't know what it is about her because she's. Very like Tony. She, I think she's similar to Tony Collette in that she can like chameleon herself into different things. Mm-hmm. But I was like something about her in this role. I was like, I almost didn't recognize you, lady. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. She's also she's done up in this sort of like fifties housewivey way, which I think helps add to what you're talking about. Yeah. But even here, where she's got she's got a very small part in the movie, Dynamo. I mean, just Frances McDormand is so good. She's great. <laughs> I'm a huge fan. I am a huge huge fan. Uh. One uh, almost famous her as the mom in that oh, is just right. like such an incredible performance. Yeah, really, really impeccable. She's always she's always a other treat. Francis McDormand performances I liked, but my brain kept putting Tony Collette, in there. and I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> There's been more than one time uh, I saw three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Because I was like, this isn't really my no, but, but it, it is sort of wants to be. Yes, but I was like, oh, uh, this isn't really my cup of tea, but I'll go watch it because of Frances McDormand. And I was like, she's great, and I never will watch this again. Yeah. M- much like uh, she was in that Oscar winner Nomadland, which I'm like, 
I'm sure she's amazing in it, but I do not want to watch a movie about the depressing lives of people who have to basically be migrants and go from Amazon warehouse to Amazon warehouse to subsistence live. No thanks. Too depressing. Yeah. The only thing I can think of right now is, um, and I, I'm hoping to God it's her, not Tony Collette. Um, Miss Pettigrew lives for a day. It's like 10, 15 years old, I think, at this point. Uh, I I know that movie, but I don't know if I like I'm, I know that is a title of a movie, but I don't know anything about she it. She plays so like, I, a, yes, maybe like a I don't know if a maid is the right word, but she's like an like a helper to like a, a, a upper crust lady in the 20s or 30s. And then she's like, we're going to go to all the fancy things. And she gets to like sit at a fashion show and like do stuff. I haven't seen it in a that minute. That feels like but I remember enjoying that. Yeah. So she shows up with Sam McMurray and they have like, I don't know, a hundred children, I think. I, oh my God, I could not. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, they, they basically take over Nick Cage and Holly Hunter's trailer and are just like absolutely massacring the house. There's just a sequence of great cuts of the one kid is spraying a squirt gun right in Nick Cage's crotch. And then it's like, ah, you peed yourself. And Sam McMurray's like, oh, what a good joke. And I'm like, oh, cool. You're encouraging this. What a lovely man. This is you the are. point where I, I lean over and I say, I know I don't, I don't have children myself, but I will <laughs> throw your child through a wall if they continue this behavior. <laughs> Another one is writing fart on the wall with crayon. Yeah, uh, it's, Two minutes into this, I am literally kicking children out of my, like, kicking with my foot children out of my house. And then the little girl, what's she doing with Jello? I just Holding have a little girl with Jello. Oh, that's right. She's just throwing it. That's right. Yeah. Just absolute chaos. And Nick Cage is like trying to be very cool, but it is failing. And then I don't think we find out about this until after the the resolution where he punches him, but this is his boss and his boss's wife. And yeah, children. I, I, that was unclear. Cause I was like, we kept seeing yes. and then at Walsh at the factory. So I assumed that right, he was the right. supervisor or the boss or whatever. He also like, can't tell a Polish. He's trying the his boss is like trying to tell a Polish joke because as we've yes. said many times, those were a hit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was here that this guy, that was his favorite kind of joke for a solid 25 years. Right, he was your, he was the janitor at your elementary school. Exactly, exactly. And we're but going like, what? I don't right. get it. Like, if you're right, going right. to tell this shitty joke, at least tell it right. Yeah, exactly. Get Do it the honor of, of getting it correct. Yeah. So they cut to, like, actual lunch, and Francis McDormand is, like, making 800 sandwiches. Uh-huh. And... I, I love the way she gets the bread. Like she lays out a row of breads and then she takes the condiment and goes down the whole row at once. It's like this woman has made a lot of five at a time sandwiches. I've always liked the idea of that. Is, I've never had a reason to make that many sandwiches, but like the idea of just being like down the line is always very appealing to me. <laughs> I've done a twofer. I've never done a fiver. Yeah. Um, but she's don't making sandwiches talking about like all the shots and they need and a pediatrician and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And Holly Hunter's mm-hmm. like, Oh, wow. We didn't think of that. <laughs> she keeps asking Nick Cage if they have done this thing. Yeah, and like, he's you like, you know, you haven't, Holly. <laughs> I know this is just as much as you. I don't know what his real parents did before we got him. And then so Nicholas Cage walks away to talk to his foreman. And then he's like, I'm very disillusioned. He basically was like, I'm very disillusioned with my life. Yeah. And then uh, his foreman starts talking. And as he's talking, I wrote, no, oh, they're swingers. They're swingers. And then Bully is like, we're swingers. And I was like, ah! 
is not the way to approach that the, subject. The, totally correct. But what's interesting to me about this is like, this is a pretty like casual, unaggressive approach. I mean, obviously there's a big, I, at the time I had, even though I've seen this movie before, I forgot that it was his boss. And so I was just like, oh, this feels like a, uh, uh, no, no wrong tree. You're barking up there, man. Not, yeah. not, not this house. But, but knowing that it's his boss makes the dynamic way more interesting. Cause it's like, it's definitely weird. The implication. His, his approach as, is fine. Like he's not like he doesn't like drop his pants or like say he wants. Yeah, to, like, exactly. Yeah, like make disgusting comments about Holly Hunter. He's just like, my wife thinks you're cute, and I think your wife is cute. We're swingers. We yeah. should swing. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Nicholas Cage responds by punching him in the face. Yes, a little, a little over the top, as opposed to just being, oh no, thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. Uh, so he he obviously the boss uh, leaves. There's a great um, tree smash at this at this point. And he runs himself into a tree. Yes, like classic Looney Tunes. Just like you know, you could almost hear the like scrabbly foot noise just underneath the, it. Like I think Scooby it was the Fred Flintstone. Oh yeah 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 John Goodman yeah yeah this yeah yeah. So uh, <laughs> they're they're in the he car. Holly, tell Holly and Hunter Nick. That. Yes, that's true, which is weird. You think he would give the explanation for why he punched his boss because, you know, presumably there's a good reason to punch your boss. Yeah. Uh, so they stop at a, he's like, we need diapers. And he stops at a convenience store and he's like, oh, he, he's got the itch. Like he's addicted to robbing convenience stores. So he gets out some pantyhose, he puts it on his head, he grabs the diapers and he's like, you know, gesturing at the clerk with the gun, like I need the money. Holly realizes what's going on and hears the sirens and is just like, "Peace, I'm leaving," she and drives there, yeah. away. But also, like Holly, he's your husband. They're gonna put everything. Yeah, like, it, this is gonna unravel quickly. Yeah, well, she could be like very easily like, "I didn't know what he was doing, and when I saw what he was doing, I left. I I had nothing to do with that." With this baby. as you can see, because I left. That the problem oh, is that yeah, like you no. have this, you have a stolen baby. Like you cannot. Be questioned yeah. by the police. Yeah. You cannot do anything yeah. if you have a stolen baby. Well, maybe she'll get uh, someone to watch the stolen baby temporarily. There you go. So Nick Cage runs outside as she drives away, and he's like, where are you going? And the kid, from the, we hear a gunshot, and the kid from the convenience store has the Joker's gun. It's like a 32-foot-long pistol he had to pull out of his... Batman, you mean? Yes, yes, yes. The, the Jack Nicholson Joker gun, which is like a 12, you know, it's like three or four feet long, it's right? Long, yeah. It's like completely. Yeah, I was gonna say a twelve-inch barrel, but it's bigger than that. I think it's one of those things that, like, if you tried to fire a bullet out of this, it would be completely ineffective. It would just like fall out of the, t- the yeah, end. It would, just it, like, would be, it would like a Looney Tune, be like, yeah, <laughs> and then fall. Um, see, the, so this is a really fun, silly slapstick chase sequence. I it's think it's real wackadoo. A cop jumps out the window of his cop car when they get close for some reason. Yes, and then later is like sitting on the windowsill, like the Terminator movie, and he's just like firing guns at Nick Cage. Yeah, so Nicholas Cage is running through this little neighbor. It, the neighborhood looks a lot like um, the one from uh, Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, yeah. Even though it's, it's night and like, but there's something about like the layout and the houses feels very that. Um, it's like a '50s planned community type vibe, '60s planned community. Yeah. Type vibe. Um, so he he drops the diapers in the shootout and has to keep running. Um, at one point we get the Ash Williams run through the house moment where like a shaky yes, cam yeah, that, follows that, him running. 
that's the other that's so the first there's that Raimi edit and I was like oh that's interesting and then when this happened I'm like oh my god this is just doing bits of Evil Dead 2 I was like this is I was like I'm, I know this um yeah and no one in the house reacts when the pol- he runs through and then the police run through and then the dogs run through which is great mm-hmm yeah there's a pack of stray dogs that keeps getting larger and larger well, which is really fun I think they're pets I think they're pets that got off their list. oh that's a good yeah you're right you're right. And then it leads to a really awesome dog stunt where there's a dog chained up in a backyard and Nick Cage is exactly as far away as the dog's leash. But the dog does a big running leap and like comes like an inch short of hitting him in the face. And I am I have no idea how they did this stunt. I hope it was just that somebody off screen just oh, held I the dog up. Pray to God. <laughs> yeah. Then it was just like, you, you. I'll hold the front legs and I will just point it at the screen. But you never know. So hopefully the Coens aren't monsters. Yeah. Um, but then, like, so it turns out the the convenience store clerk is still chasing him with a gun, but like, which, like, dude, yes. you do not get paid enough to care this much. <laughs> no. And also, it was diapers. Who cares? That's also, also, sorry, capitalism. If I'm working somewhere and someone steals diapers, I'm letting them go. Yeah. I mean, he, to be fair, he does stick a gun in the guy's face and take the money in the till. So yeah, it's that, like not just the diapers. But if someone is stealing just diapers or just baby food or whatever formula. Totally. Yeah. You're you're walking out of here and I don't really care. Sorry, capitalism. Right. I have never been paid enough to care that much about somebody stealing from me or no. not me, the store that I work in. Yeah. God, no. So <laughs> at this point, the... Uh, the cops are like skidding all over the place. The dogs attack the kid with the gun, and um, so the cops clerk, have to like avoid hitting that. Place. Also, the clerk yes, has abandoned you. the store. So, yes, he did leave the store clearly wide open. Um, at, at that point, Holly um, tries to catch Nick, but he they still can't uh, get through. So Nick is is in a hijacked car that is being shot at. The windshield is missing from well, his car, and he's not wearing a seatbelt. Hijacking if the person's still driving is that still a hijacking? Um, or you call it like a kidnapping? I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's a hijacking and a kidnapping, but he gets launched out of the, I, 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 we've got this chase sequence goes on for a while. So yeah, so I've gone on around, but I do, he gets launched out of the car, which is a fun bit. Um, and then eventually they're in a grocery store and all I could think of was, do you remember we did that road trip for, was it your high school graduation? Uh And we went to the grocery store that they filmed, uh, my bloody Valentine 3D. Yeah. We posed in the alley outside too. Yeah, we took pictures in the alley, and then we went in the grocery store, and it was like a – I I don't think it was one of the big chains. But I think it was like a smaller mom-and-pop type grocery store. If it was a store. chain, it was like a, like a Piggly Wiggly or like a like a regional thing, but I think it was more yeah. like Lou's Grocer or something. Yeah, but it was one of the old-style convenience – or uh, grocery stores, rather, that they feature here where there's like a manager in like a tower for some reason. Like I've never understood why you would have – I guess to watch for stealing and his mom – or like the, the guy can just be up there and be like, uh, clean up an aisle four. You know, like it's – it's that's the monitoring system of the old days. But uh, – Now the, we have the, so the manager's the googly eyes at the giant. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I We don't have googly eye robots down here I, yet, but I, 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 I do so think they're much. very cute. So he like sees Nick Cage and they're having a shootout in this man's grocery store. Uh, but all I can think of was when you and I were like in the aisle taking the pictures and then we were walking out at the store and the person up in the tower was like looking at us like we we're the weirdest two people on earth. I mean, it, it's not like my bloody Valentine was a big splash of a movie. Like, but, but like, I feel like, like what, five years the, after the movie had come out, it wasn't 
No, it wasn't five years after the movie came out. I think the movie was like 08, 07. So three years then. Which like for that. Well, it was 2009, wasn't no, it? No, 2010. Or 10. You graduated in 2010. Yeah. Oh, okay. So okay. Three. I don't know, man. If you went to the if you went to the diner from the blob in our hometown and you took a picture outside pretending to be blobbed, people would be like, ah, oh, they're a blob fan. I feel like the blob has more of a cultural impact than the remake. But of I'm my saying Valentine. I'm. I'm saying, like, if your town is the setting for a movie, it becomes a big deal. If your town doesn't normally be a movie place. That's true. I, I guess I, I wasn't place. sure if there was any kind of, like, fanfare for this movie in the town. Because the bri- it, there's all, several filming locations. There's, like, the bridge and the house and the yeah, grocery yeah. store and stuff. Yeah, they filmed it all over that town, yeah. I was I, Presumably I, that grocery store made as much money as it did to be the location for that filming as it did in a normal couple weeks of operations. Probably. Anyway, Holly ends up uh, picking up Nick Cage back behind the uh, grocery store and they're driving back to the house. And along the way, there's the diapers. So he opens the door, leads out where to go to pick them up. Yes, yes. And he grabs the bag of diapers. I really wish that there was like later in the movie, like they opened a diaper and there was a bullet in it. Yeah, that'd be funny. Um, So they come in and uh, John Goodman and the other guy, not Meatloaf, I'll say. Um, William Forsyth is the actor's name on the couch and like we had to pick something up for the baby and he goes he dipped he goes the dip tat shot which is what uh, Francis McDormand was talking about earlier which was like that's a fun yeah, yeah. back. yeah yeah also there is like a full case of beer worth of empties behind these two oh, guys yeah. so Holly Hunter goes to bed and they're like Nicolas Cage we uh, we want to rob this podunk bank and I'm like are podunk banks insured the way major banks are insured? I assume so. I don't know that to be sure, but I the, assume so. It's a Wonderful Life teaches us that, like, local small town banks are dangerous places. <laughs> well, no, the savings and loan in, in uh, I almost said Pottersville, in... Uh, Bedford Falls is like a good place. Like they use that money to create like affordable housing for people. Yes, but it's like saying, when good, all the it's money, like, like, but like that seemed very precarious because all the money just didn't. There wasn't there a run on the bank. Isn't that what that happens? There is like a run on the bank to me seems like there's not insurance. We're gonna on the need bank, right. We're gonna need to do a whole "It's a Wonderful Life" episode because you're you have the, the like that movie is a, is a delight. It is like the triumph of a, a community over capitalism in in the best ways. Um, I believe that movie predates the FDIC insurance you're talking about okay. the 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 time of the movie. But uh, well, just because you and I, I always think- say if you steal from a bank. It's insured. Yes. No. Of course. Yeah. They're stealing from a bank. From my bank. As long as you don't hurt anyone, and you don't, like obviously PTSD, stress, all those things are real. Like that's a, that's a. But is essentially a victimless crime because the bank gets the money back. The people who have money right. in that bank get their money back. Like, right? Steal from banks, not people. Is is the exactly. philosophy of this show? This <laughs> don't steal mom. from That'll people. Our, steal our from banks. T-shirt. <laughs> yes. Steal from banks. Well, we have to have a first t-shirt in order well, to have a second. you made the Macho Man t-shirt for us. We didn't sell it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there is there is two of them in a closet that we should figure out something to do with at some point. Because um, that was my only, my I, only worry. Because it's this like podunk like farming town bank. And I was like, but if they're not yeah. insured, these people are out money then. And that I feel bad yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. 
I agree. I think I, I'm going to go with I think it's probably insured just so that we can That's not feel guilty about this. But also the beauty of the fact like they're telling him this big score they have. And the idea is basically at the end of the month, all these farmers get checks from the government. They go to cash these checks and they want them in cash. So the bank has a lot of cash on hand at the end of the month. Uh, which is, you know, a sound plan as far as bank robbery yeah. plans go. I guess in that uh, in that in that instance, then yeah, the, it is just stealing from the bank, not from the people, because their checks aren't there yet. Yeah. So right, that's the idea. Like they haven't cashed their checks, so it's the bank's money. Um, but they're they're going over this plan while slamming beers, and then John Goodman gets up halfway through and gets out this plate of fried chicken that he's just going to town on, and I just love every second of it. He eats fried chicken like he's in a gremlin. He's a gremlin. Yes. Yeah. So Nick writes a, a send a send off note to Holly to like he's going to go do this uh, this this robbery thing. Uh, meanwhile, the lone biker of the apocalypse meets the eldest Arizona and and it basically negotiates for the baby. And he's like, uh, I want you to pay me this much. And and Papa Arizona's like, no. And he's like, OK, well, I'll just sell the baby to someone who will pay me that much. And then Papa Arizona's like, this is uh, blackmail. What are you doing? And it's like, sir. Did you look at this man? Did he seem on the up and up to you? Like, like look at him. He's telling you, he's being very upfront with you. He's being very honest. Yeah. I want, <laughs> I know what I'm worth. I have a very specific set of skills and this is what they're worth. Yes. He also does a really great, like, you know, uh, character moment of the, the lone biker, of the apocalypse grabs a fly out of midair. Like it's still alive, wriggling in his fingers. Yeah. He also has baby shoes on his belt, which I didn't notice the first time. Yeah, yeah. They they come back later. It's like, I, I don't quite know what that's supposed to be. It's like they almost treat it like he's a bloodhound or something. Yeah. So uh, Sam McMurray comes to the house and he's got like a neck brace on and a black eye. And like, it looks the, like the, Regina George not, it's at not, the end of Mean Girls. Yeah. What's that? The it's I guess it's like cotton. They like put it up your nose if your nose has been broken in movies. Oh, is that, I thought it was. It's just not like a cotton things. ball. Maybe, maybe both. It's like a, it's like a stiffer cotton. It's, it's thing like that a tampon use. with no string. Yeah, yeah. It's probably what it is. It's just like a cutoff hunk of tampon. Um, but they always put. It, it's always in movies when someone's nose has been broken. They like have these tampon hunks stuck stuck up their nose. But he wants to steal the baby, and he threatens Nick like, "We can't have another one, so we want that one." Well, which is just like everyone saying, in this. Earlier, he was saying he was like, "How did you get the baby?" Because they won't give us another one. I'm like, "Because you have seven. Like you don't need yes. another one, and you can't control the ones you have." So he first he was like, "You're not so big and tough without something to clobber me with," and I was like, "He punched you, like with his right, hand." Right, right. <laughs> it wasn't a wrench or something. Um, and then he's like, "Oh, well, uh, I'm, we're gonna take the baby because my wife, because you know Francis McDormand wants one," and I was like, "Here's what we do now: we give them the baby." And then call the police on them and get the reward money. Exactly. And then you take exactly. twenty five thousand dollars and you move somewhere where no one knows you and steal another baby. Like <laughs> it's just a chain of baby I mean, stealing. Is presumably what it is. the second one you steal, that that one's probably going to stick. But <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely think they should have had an unending chain of baby snatches. So uh, at this point, like everyone realizes that the. Um, Hi, Junior is not their child, and everyone is trying to steal the baby I was back. Shocked that the convicts did not have High's back because he comes in and they're holding the baby and they're like, "We're taking him." And I'm like, "Hang on, I thought you would have been cool about this." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other thing is, like, it seems like the convicts are like, "Oh, we'll turn the baby in for the reward money," but it's not like 
you it's get out of jail star. free after that. Like you, <laughs> but, you just drop yeah, the baby exactly. off and like shake it down and like a, a check prints out. Like exactly. It's like they're gonna figure out who you are and then you're going to go back to prison. Yes. So uh, Goodman and Nick Cage have a big fight here, and this is honestly like my favorite sequence of the movie. This is, I think, the one in Evil Dead Two is better, but this is basically Bruce Campbell fighting himself in the cabin. Yes, uh, honest. If there was the technology for there to be two Bruce Campbells fighting in nineteen eighty whatever for Evil Dead Two, yeah, we probably would have had this then. They had to wait till Ash versus yes. Evil Dead to do that. But <laughs> yeah, the the idea of like getting someone who looked like him and trying to shoot him from the back didn't occur to them. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say, when Nicolas Cage first flips John Goodman over him, there's a very clear shot of the stunt double, and it is fully yes. like it's as bad as Nev Campbell's stunt double in Scream, when she gets like thrown. She, like it's when, oh yes, I know the, so- the shot. You're she's in about. her gray sweatsuit in the in the foyer, and I'm like, that's a linebacker. That's fully not yeah, Nev Campbell. Yeah. yeah, the the other like this this so John Goodman like was always a big person, but then he got, you know, obviously much larger and now he's kind of gone back down again. Mm-hmm. But he here is like husky without being Very. like super heavy. Yeah. But his stunt double is a good 50, 60 pounds lighter than him. Like very much smaller. That was a budget apparently. <laughs> they didn't have the budget. Yeah, yeah. There's also really cute insert shots of uh, the other convict in the bathroom with the baby, like covering his, like cuddling him and like covering his ears, which is just very adorable and intercut with these like yeah. three stooges fighting. He's like protecting the head too as like yeah. debris starts falling around. Yeah, he's William Forsyth is like very, very uh, protective of the baby. But I love the bit where like <laughs> they punch a miss and it goes into a cabinet and then they. They go to punch again, and he opens the door, and he punches through the cabinet door, so both of his hands are stuck on either side of him. And he, like, like went to do the wind-up for the punch and hit, like, a w- and broke her window. <laughs> yes, yes, because it's you know a small it space. It's, it's They're the fight fighting a Kill trailer. Bill yeah, yeah, it has, Kill Bill 2 definitely owes a lot to this, for sure, because that is also a fight in a trailer. Mm-hmm. I also love the one where he does, like, the, the Miss Trunchbull... Uh, our principal Trunchbull hammer throw. He, like, grabs Nick Cage, and yeah, they spin around and around and around. flying in the air. Yeah, yeah. That part I just loved to pieces. He goes through the bathroom wall after that throw, I think. Is that what it is? Yeah. And hits his okay. head on the toilet. Because it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the, they obviously this is a set, whatever, but they, they make it seem like trailers are basically made of tissue paper. They have the structural integrity of the original Barbie dream house made of everything yeah, made yeah. of cardboard. So, <laughs> to borrow your thing, like the whole the whole place is made out of feudal Japanese doors. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's a bunch of uh, it's a bunch of banners that high school football teams run through held <laughs> yes. by cheerleaders. It's, <laughs> it's just a big piece of paper. They, there are a few holes poked in it so that it rips right. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. So they steal the. So baby. they tie Nick. They tie Nick Cage to a chair first. Yeah. But and then Holly Hunter comes home. And Nick Cage is like, oh, we're going to get the baby back. And he, I love the shirt. He puts this like pink and red Hawaiian number. I really like it. Which shirt are you talking about? When he, The one he's wearing from here to the end. Nick with, Cage. Yeah, Nick okay. Cage. Because I, I didn't catch this on the first time I watched it, but both William Forsythe and John Goodman are wearing Nick Cage's clothes. Oh, really? Because Nick Cage wears the same type of shirt through the whole movie. This like the shirt you just pointed out is they're all Hawaiian-y. this like Hawaiian-ish. Yeah, or bowling shirt type shirt. Both... 
Forsyth and Goodman are wearing his clothes because it, the clothes don't fit them right. Like Goodman can't button the shirt. His is just worn like over a, uh, his undershirt and he has this over it. And Forsyth has it buttoned all the way out, but he's bigger than Nick Cage. So it's like busting at each button. It's like really that. strained. I love that. I didn't either. Yeah. I, it's like the, the, you know, the second time I watched it, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Those that's Nick Cage's clothes. Cause they broke out of prison. They don't have any. Yeah. So they, it's like, makes total sense. So I think they're wearing their like prison escapee pants. And like I said, Goodman's got his undershirt on, but the, the top shirt is Nick Cage's. Uh, so the convicts drive to a general store and steal a bunch of baby stuff from the owner. Yes. Uh, and there's a funny, a cute little, like, I chuckled at it. But, uh, William Forsyth sees balloons and he said, do these make funny shapes? And the guy goes, unless you think round is funny. And then they get in the car, he gets in the car <laughs> and he's like, I got balloons. And John Goodman goes, do they make funny shapes? And I was like, this Yeah. Yeah. Great Coen Brothers dialogue. And the other great part of that exchange is like, we better hurry. I don't know how high that guy can count. <laughs> Because he tells him to lay down and count to some, you know, I, it's like some 800 so like, you know, 800 and then back. Down. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not a round number. He's like, count to 879. Um, this was very concerning uh, because <laughs> they find out that they left the baby on the roof of the car. And like, I've left coffee. I mean, actually, I haven't. I know people who've left coffee cups on the roof of their car. And uh, uh-huh. that coffee cup is ruined. It's done forever. I uh, I once saw someone start to drive away with their cell phone on top of the car, and I was like screaming at them, trying to get their attention. And they stopped and were very wary. And I'm going like the roof, the roof of the car. There's someone oh, in your back and they find with an axe. <laughs> exactly. They rolled the window down like a crack, and I'm like, your phone is on the roof. <laughs> and they reached up and grabbed it. And I was like, oh, thank God. You were trying like some. You were Devin Sawa in Final Destination. <laughs> Yes. No, that's uh, uh, Urban Legend, the one you were just doing. There's someone in your back seat oh, is well, Urban that, yeah, Legend. But I was also it's... like, it, you look oh. like Devin Sawa. Like, you you figured out Death's plan. And you're oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 I thought you were doing, um, uh, Jesus, the voice of Chucky. Brad Dourif. Yeah, Brad Dourif in Urban, uh, Legend? Uh, Urban Legend, where he's like, <laughs> he like, have you seen that? Yeah, I watched it recently. Uh, yeah, yeah. When he like he, he has the whole rigmarole to get her inside, and he's like, "There's someone in your back seat," but he comes off like a creep. Yeah. That's right. That I was trying. I was like, "Is he the creep?" No, he's the good guy in that one. Yes, yeah, but he looks like Brad Dourif, yeah. so they assume he's the creep. <laughs> um, the the part I really love is like they realize the baby is on the roof, and they look at each other, and they both just start screaming at their max volume, and we like cut away from the car and we see the car zoom down the highway and then we see them pulling up to the baby and we cut back into the car and they're still screaming as if it's just been one unbroken cutbacks but they're screaming the whole time it might see uh (laughs) one episode of bob's burgers a halloween episode they cut to commercial with the kids screaming and then came back from commercial with the kids still screaming i think they did that with gail once too yep yep and the old man who they told to do the counting, he like stands up as if he's finished. He sees the car pulling in and goes right back down to the floor. Like just up. like I said, really good editing jokes. Yeah, exactly. They do the home alone edit where you back away from someone really quick and play it in reverse. Yes. So it looks like they're going to like hit the baby. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Baby's fine somehow. So. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it could be that they uh, they had a parachute in the baby seat and they just didn't know about yeah, it. That's true. Maybe rich people have. Oh, I guess it's not a rich people's car seat. No, it's not. Um, yeah. So then we cut to Holly Hunter in her cop clothes, 
And she's talking about like, I'm, I'm an officer at the law. And I was like, didn't you resign like before all this? And yes. then two seconds later, in, in disgrace, goes, I don't think it was in disgrace. She resigned. Oh, okay. Um, I thought she resigned in disgrace. I don't think so. I think she was just the very distraught about not being able to have children. And so she ended up quitting. Yeah, that's right. You're right. You're right. No, you're correct. Yep. Not resigned. I literally was like, did you resign? And then two seconds later, Nicolas Cage goes, honey, you resigned. (laughs) And she has this like full on breakdown, but also a moment of clarity here where she's just like, we did a bad thing and I have to fix it. And also like, we aren't good together. We, we probably yes. shouldn't be together. Yeah. <laughs> Let you save the world? No way. <laughs> Leave saving the world to the man? I don't think so. Um, so the Lone Rider of the Apocalypse is on the trail. Now it's just like all of the people are... Con- all, of, all of the points... At this point, you know, you've got your map of the movie and it's like all roads lead to the baby. Everybody is, everybody is in, in motion here. So... John Goodman's like, we'll leave the baby in the car while we rob the bank. And uh, what's his name? What's the other guy? Forsyth? William Forsyth. Forsyth is like, we can't do that. What if we get killed in there? Then no one will discover the baby for a few hours. And I was like, okay, fair. Yeah. yeah. So they end up robbing the bank with no masks and holding a baby. Yes. It's so delightful. They should have had diapers on their They should have cut holes in diapers. It should have been holes in diapers. Or like the legs. The (laughs) The little legs. They each have one eye out of a leg hole. Yeah, exactly. They're each cyclopic. Um, And this is is where I realized this was a Muppet movie because John Goodman's like, everyone freeze and get on the ground. And then this old, old farmer man is like, (laughs) well, which is it? Do you want us to freeze or get on the ground? And yeah, I, this I guy has such like a good New voice. Zealand saying that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's also like it feels like a voice actor that they got to do this because it's it's like such yeah. a Looney Tunes, you know, character here. And I, I didn't look up who he was, but it wouldn't shock me if he was a, a old cartoony voice actor because he's got that like cartoony prospect of voice wobble. I can't what do it. it but well, you know. who who voices Slinky Dog? He's got that kind of. Uh, it's almost Jim Varney-ish, yeah, yeah. It's close, yeah. Um, so while they're getting all their money, the the bank lady picks up what looks like a soda stream canister. Yeah, and yeah. She like activates it, and it's clearly like it's clearly meant to be the blue ink thing that I don't know is mm-hmm. real, but whatever. And I was like, is that what they really look like? I I, I think dye packs are real. But I don't think they like they may have looked like they do in this movie in the 80s. But when they use them in movies now, they're the same. They look like money. It's like a bundle of cash. I was gonna say, that's the point. They, know, they won't know. And then it splats them. Right. Yeah. Like if you looked in this bag, it's like, all right, bundle of cash, bundle of cash, bundle of cash, roll of quarters. CO2 tank. It looks like it's, <laughs> you're going to screw it in your soda stream. It does. It looks like a paintball tank. Yes. Um. So they realize they forgot the baby again as the paint yes. explodes. And then they're trying to like wipe out the windshield so they can see, which I wonder if that's like part of it. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Why, like part of why they used explodey dye packs, like to ex- obscure windows. I think I thought it was supposed to taint all of the money. I thought it was indelible, like on skin and stuff too. I mean, probably it, it it certainly could do that, too. But I always assumed it was to make the money tainted so you couldn't spend it or use it because people would be like, what's wrong with this money? Um, It's money. What? So what, they just. They, yeah, the, that's good for our. That's good for the, the strength of the dollar. 
This money, <laughs> well, I mean, we can't spend it. I mean, money's not real. They would I just know. destroy it and print, print replacements. So, allegedly, the rich people say if we do that, it, it devalues. So, <laughs> no, but I'm saying they would just replace this currency. Oh, oh, okay. Like they <laughs> there is the mint fifty. Right, there's a hundred thousand dollars in ruined currency. Just destroy it and replace it with a hundred thousand gotcha. dollars. Like no, nothing comes in or out. In then this then you can buy it as a novelty keychain. Exactly, exactly. You can buy some shredded cash. Uh, but yeah, the, the Goodman frantically wiping the windshield to the like the noises yep. is just so good. He's he's a delightful physical comedian. He's just he's really great. Good. Um, there's a reason he was cast the as thing, uh, Fred Flintstone. He's good. Yeah, the thing that I think is why I really have an affection for this movie is like. To, to use the parlance of the youth, it's like everybody in this movie understood the assignment. Yeah. Everybody knows what movie they're in. Everybody understands the tone and everybody is like, oh, got it. I should be this big. Mm-hmm. You need me at this level. Yeah. So Holly Hunter and Nick Cage catch up to them and they realize they don't have the baby. So they drive back towards the bank to pick up the baby as the the what's the lone rider, the lone the rider drives through an explosion that we because I, I, I saw this explosion i was like what happened <laughs> i think he just threw a grenade well in advance of his motorcycle so he could drive through it probably um so he like scoops up the baby and like puts him like wedges him into the handlebars of his motorcycle and then nick mm-hmm. cage gets kind of dragged behind the motorcycle which is crazy Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's like holding on to his shoes, holding on to his ankle, or he's got, he's like caught. Is his shirt caught? I is thought that he was what holding on to like the wheel cover, the back wheel cover? Cause he's like, no, you, you know what it is? It's the, it's the thing where the, your foot rests that like you yes, put your heel he on it and then you it. use the, your toes to do the shifts. Yeah. So he steps on Nick Cage's foot and like pins him to the motorcycle. Um, and then they fight. And then Holly Hunter's like, give me the baby. But she's dressed as a cop. And I'm like, does he not yes. know she's a like? Does he know she's not a real cop? Because you would think this would be a, a moment, right? Exactly. You'd think he'd be like, "I know you're not a cop," and just he shoots her or something. Yeah. Um, uh, so he Holly ends up grabbing the baby and like running through the bank, and, which is delightful because one of the and then he one of the people on the floor is like, "You got to get down." And then he drives his motorcycle all the way through the bank, which conveniently has double <laughs> yes. doors on every on every exit and entrance. <laughs> yeah, of course. And then he gets, then Nicolas Cage clotheslines him off the motorcycle. <laughs> yes, yes, it's delightful. And then I, I really liked this fight because they were slapping each other, which like uh-huh. made it feel really fun and not yes, like yeah. serious. Exactly, exactly. It would be totally bizarre if they had like a real knockdown drag out fight at this point in this movie. They're like open palm, like slapping each other. They, yeah, and then they find we realize they have matching tattoos, which I didn't know what I was yes. supposed to get from that. They're both they both have Woody Woodpecker tattoos. The movie doesn't explain one speck of why this is a thing, why you should know that, okay. why it should matter. They, there's no explanation. the The biker looks at it and like seems to seems to recognize something, but there's no explanation of why. Okay, and then Nicolas Cage, sneaky, sneaky pulls the ring out of one of the grenades as he gets punched away and then like reveals it. And he yeah, gets uh, he, he is he gets turned into a red mist. <laughs> and like a boot with a foot in it goes flying, which is great. And then the baby shoes. Yes, that yeah, with no baby. The baby is safe. It's well, just no, the, they, baby the baby shoes, shoes he carried on his, his belt. belt. 
I just was making sure for the listeners yeah. who might have missed the detail that the baby is fine. Uh, so then we get Nicolas Cage and Holly Hunter returning the baby, and it's this sweet moment that has a lovely record scratch when Mr. Arizona turns the lights on and is like, what the hell? I also love that they put back the baby and also a baby book that was clearly on fire. <laughs> yes. Um, so he. Uh, so they have this whole heart to heart here. And he offers to pay them, and, they're, and she's like, no. And I was like, no, take it. <laughs> yeah, take the money. You went through a lot for this. As they, and then they ultimately ad- admit that they that they stole him because at first they were like we took him from the biker the biker stole him or whatever yeah yeah I also like at one point Nick Cage is like I don't know a lot about this but typically it's a no questions asked he's like you should, normally with rewards they say no questions asked which like fair yeah yeah I did not yeah I didn't see them coming clean and then she's like because he, he's like well you two are you know you did the right thing uh whatever. And Holly Hunter's like, well, we're actually going to break up. And then he's like, hmm, maybe you shouldn't break up, but get out of my house. <laughs> he just says, before you do that, you should think on it a night or two. Yeah. Um, so then they go home and Nicolas Cage dreams again. Um, it was a very long winded uh, final tag, I thought. Well, he like he narrates this dream and the dream is just like what happened to everybody. Yeah. But part of that dream is Nathan Jr. as like a college kid wearing a white and gold football jersey. And I was like, yeah, I like this. This is I like that aesthetic. (laughs) They had another bit earlier where he was a football star. Like they just dreamed that the kid would be a football star for whatever reason. For Christmas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like when he gives him the football, they like he flash forwards to him like as an athlete in his older years. It's twice. Oh, Oh, like right before before this part. Yeah, there's like a part where he's like a high school football star. They show like a high school aged kid, or maybe it's the same kid from the end. But I feel like they show the football thing twice. Oh, I don't remember. Maybe that. I'm maybe I'm losing my mind. You were making a face like you don't. Remember I don't remember that, that so at maybe all. Because I remember mind. at the end he's like yeah. he gets a present for Christmas from two anonymous people, and it was a football. And then he the next clip is him like in the white and gold football jersey. Yeah, yeah. And then there's isn't there a clip where he's like running down a football field? That's the one in the white and gold jersey. Okay. All right. Um, and then a, a big old family comes and visits wh- who are assumed to be High and uh, Holly Hunter. Yeah. Also, John Goodman and William Forsythe, like, escape back into prison. <laughs> they tunnel the way back in. Yeah. I the I, I, Like, obviously, they don't show it because they didn't show him breaking out. But I love the idea of, like, them tunneling back in and, like, they're just back in their beds and like, no, we, didn't, we were here the whole time. I don't know what we're talking Never about. Left. Yeah, they have a huge family, and they're they're very old, but they have a huge family. There's also a gigantic fake turkey on the table, which really cracked me up. Those are always fun, the big plastic turkey. And and the other the other food on the table, which made me think is just like they had to put out something, and they had no money left, so they got a jar of peanut butter and a a couple bags of celery, that. and they made they made ants on a log without raisins, so it's just like celery, celery stalks filled butter. with peanut butter. That's what I used to eat. Right, but that's. But it's a fine snack. I'm not impugning the snack, but this is clearly Thanksgiving, and the table is six platters of peanut butter, celery, and a turkey. <laughs> I didn't catch that. Like, there's no, there's no other sides, and the kids are all like munching on the peanut butter and celery, which made me think they were just like, just give the kids some food. They're out of their minds. Somebody make a snack. Craft services. Peanut butter out of the celery, leaving wet celery. Uh huh. Uh huh. And yeah, that's that's the end of the movie, like a happy ending for everybody, I guess. I guess. 
Uh, perhaps not William Forsythe and John Goodman. So final thoughts. This is your first time watching it. I thought it was fine. I don't think it's a bad movie, but it's a perfectly comp. It's well done, and it's. I got some laughs out of it, but it's not my favorite movie. Yeah, I mean, I I, I wouldn't call it my favorite either. But I think this is like a real hoot. I the the over the top comedy of it, I really love. You know, it's it's a well. It's got a lot of editing. It's most of the comedy is of the movie, so it holds up across eras. Like it's not. Um, there's no topical stuff. There's no, I mean, I guess the quintuple thing could vaguely be construed as topical, but it's really not like it's, it's, it's not of any particular era. It's just a, like a great comedy about idiots committing a crime. Mm-hmm. It's solid. Yeah. And like I said, I just, I, I watched it for the first time and it's like, man, there's so much Sam Raimi in this. And then watching evil dead two and this in close succession, I just like couldn't get over how much I enjoyed, you know, the, the, the similarities between the two is like, it's so obvious that they were in, you know, close, their friend, they were to clo- close friends, and you can see why because they're that whatever the influences were are in both of these things. They both wear them on their sleeves for sure. Totally. Uh, but yeah, so I, I think this is a hoot. It's a, it's a strong recommend for me. It's uh, pretty easy to find out there. It's a recommend for me. It's not. I, I'm not like yeah. you know five like ten stars or whatever. But it's it's I, I yeah, yeah watch it. It's only ninety minutes, it, which is always a yeah good. exactly. Yeah, you could double feature both these uh, these movies in less time than it takes you to watch an Avengers. Probably yeah definitely it's it's less than three hours i think only the most recent one was over th- was three. Oh, okay i just assume like that spider-man is like a good two and a half so well two and a half is the norm now movies can't be two hours yeah hour 45 movies have to be two and a half yeah i i anytime i see a runtime under 100 minutes and they're actually in the location and not in a green screen in atlanta the movie goes up a whole star for me i'm like oh this is real and then if someone gets a squib, like a real squib on a human body in the, the year of our Lord 2022, I'm like, oh, baby, let's get let's this is a star and a half. We're starting at one point five out of five, baby. I agree. Um, but yeah, I, I think this movie is a hoot. I think this is a fun, a fun month. We, we, we uh, you know, celebrated two 40th anniversaries here of these. movies. One of them actually came out in March. I think the other one was later in the summer, but I we had to do it now for schedule reasons. But um I forgot to say this uh, on our last episode, and I'm going to have to put this out. Uh, don't forget, it's Listener Request Month, so uh, get your submissions in for that, and we'll, we'll, we're going to be doing that uh, in May and June on the Patreon as well. So get that, uh, get those in. It's eight five six dissect. Just uh, your name, where you're calling from, and um, the movie you'd like to see us cover. So get that out when you can. Uh, and go check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash the 80s uh, If you join us there at the $5 tier, you'll get to uh, get a second shot at a movie for Listener Request Month. And with a smaller pool of people, you have a higher chance of getting picks. So patreon.com slash the 80s uh, next month, we roll into one of our annual traditions here. It is, of course, Andrew programs the show in the month of April, known by the very smooth, easy to say acronym AppSit MOA. I have no idea what we're doing next, so you're going to have to tell us all the audience and I find out together. It is better grab your powder cleanser and hide those wire hangers because we're watching Mommy Dearest from 1981. Oh, Boise. Oh, Boise. I've never seen this. It'll be interesting for me. It's also very interesting because I watch it through the lens of queer people who have just like absorbed this movie like the blob <laughs> so i'm very curious to see you who do not have the like cultural touchstone moments the way no none of them not a one not a one well I, like, i'm excited to watch it the then. number of quotes i can scream at my friends from this movie is insane well uh we will be here in april with mommy dearest 
Is that what you said? Okay. All right. I want to make sure I said it correctly. Okay. Uh, don't forget to check us out on uh, Facebook and Twitter. And uh, don't forget to review the show if you haven't done that yet. Why haven't you done it yet? If you listen to the show and you like it, review the show. Uh, it takes a couple seconds and we read those on the air. So go ahead and do that. And then uh, get those movie suggestions in. 856-D-I-S-S-E-C-T. And we will uh, pick those movies sometime in April. So uh, we have until... April 15th to get those in. So make sure you get those in by midnight on April 15th. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I have been Trip Lano. I will always be Andrew Lano. Until next time. Don't you forget about me. Dissecting the 80s is a chum sum of this production. <laughs> <laughs>